This is a Culture Inject production. Welcome back to the newest installments of the Nevers podcast. This is Tyg, and I'm joined for this final Nevers discussion by Chirag. Hey, how's it going? Okay, here we are at the end of our somewhat curtailed journey. Today, we are discussing the series finale of The Nevers, titled I'll Be Seeing You. I assume it's ironic. Before we dig in, however, we have to remind you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and please leave us a rating and a review. Talk us up real good, like, would ya? And remember to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at HBO The Nevers, and on Twitter at HBO The Nevers and The Nevers Podcast P O D C S T. If you have anything you want to share with us, send us an email at theneverspodcast at gmail dot com. No, previously on, no, this in. We are just jumping straight into the climactic moments of this television show so diving right in yeah i mean if you were to sum this episode up in one word what would it be finale sure very literal there okay yeah uh i i actually really enjoyed it i thought it was the best of this batch of episodes uh but i want i'm interested to hear what you think well i was gonna say I'm kind of torn. I have three words that sum it up, and I can't quite decide which one I want to go with more. The first is frustrating. The second is disappointing. And the third is clusterfuck. I can't quite pick which one accurately sums up my feelings towards this. But yeah, so we all we start off basically exactly where the last one left off. We're all in the power station. Lavinia is just going ham on the Galanthi. She's pulling out different guns and just shooting this poor creature as many times as she can. Um, And yeah, then they sort of, they, they try and escape and it doesn't really work despite Penance's best efforts. And, but then they are saved by, of course, Malady, which I was kind of hoping she would direct her interests towards the uh, orphanage. But, uh, Apparently they had other plans for that. Um, yeah, I, I can't lie. I just felt that whole scene was massively out of character for Lavinia. Just her sitting there, sh- repeatedly shooting this poor creature with a variety of different guns. Just, who is that? I'm sorry, because that was not Lavinia. Like, she's been, she's, she's the plotter, the planner. She's, you know, Magneto behind the scenes, moving shit around. They're just seeing her sitting there trying out various guns just seemed kind of stupid. Yeah, and you know, <clears throat> that scene wasn't really played dramatically. It was yeah. kind of played for laughs. Like I and I I enjoyed the humor of it actually. I I, I liked that, you know, Penance was like, you, if you're gonna shoot the Galanthi, you might as well shoot us too. And uh, and uh, Molly's like, what? Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, I liked. Um, I, I it was a very brief encounter uh, confrontation, which I totally agree with what you're saying. It could have been way more uh, 
satisfying and intense and like, wait a minute, you've been playing us the whole time? We trusted you. And, and that kind of dynamic would have been interesting. But I, I have a quick question for you. I don't know, <clears throat> and uh, to anyone who might still be listening, excuse my voice. I'm still recovering from a little bit of a illness. But I, so I don't know if I was maybe watching a bad copy of the episode, but uh, right when the maladies come and rescue Amalia and Penance, it kind of awkwardly cuts to Lavinia already having escaped. Because it, it just kind of cuts to her in a wheelchair outside, like yeah. like uh, running away. I don't right? know if there were scenes missing. I think we, I think we watched the same copy. And I don't know if there were scenes missing or what, but... It, there were a couple of points in this episode where there were just a couple of very janky cuts. And I can't tell if that was yeah. just where the adverts were or what. But yeah, there's a moment later on that we'll get to when we get to it later on where kind of a thing happens and then we cut away and then we came back sort of at a later scene and the situation had resolved yeah. itself. And I was like, is, is that how you wanted this to play out? But so much of this episode just kind of feels like they were just doing the best with the slim resources they had left i wouldn't be surprised if there was a scene that was meant to be between there but it got left on the editing room floor or something because yeah this whole episode was seemed very rushed and kind of scrappy to me yeah it did did feel a little rushed and scrappy i do want to mention though uh a scene that happens before the lavinia scene which is the scene between Malady and Myrtle. Oh, Where yes. they're kind of... I Okay, I'm so glad... Uh, I'm so glad that she that she calls Myrtle uh, Babel. Yes. Uh, because I was fucking right. She's the Tower of Babel, and I feel like all of my biblical crack pottery is now being proved retrospectively correct. Like, all the way back in episode two or something, I went on a obnoxious rant about how Myrtle is the tower of Babel. Chirag, but chirag, I love chirag. that they just made it. It's yeah. only obnoxious it, if it's wrong. Now exactly. that you've been proven That's right, you were just accurate and persistent. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you nailed that. Yeah. Um, honestly, Malady for me was the freaking hero of this episode. Malady was great. Um, oh yeah, penance. Yeah, penance was great. Everyone else annoyed me. Those two. Yeah, penance was penance was interesting in this one, and we'll talk about her more. But I I like how, <coughs> excuse me, I like how she kind of breaks up with Amalia at the end. Right, I, I fucking hated that. But we we will get to that when we discuss the ending. Okay, we'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, that was. Let's one talk the- about. Let's talk about the battle between yes. the touched and the purists. So, a battle takes place. What do you think, or how do you feel about the consequences and casualties of the skirmish, including Primrose's death and Mundy's actions? It kind of feels like a lot of this back half, like these last six episodes, a good chunk of them were just setting up various pairings. We had, obviously, my top ship Mundy and hugo we had um had as in past tense indeed like there was a a lot of focus on these little pairings 
And then the whole point of this battle seemed to be, let's kill one of each of them off and see what happens. And like, by the second or third time it happened, it's like, yeah, okay. Like, we get it. This is the finale. No one is safe. Yay. It all just felt... It lacked... They all lacked impact because the whole scenario around them was so ridiculous that it just felt like they were trying to kind of go for shock value. Like, um, Primrose, like, you know, uh, Myrtle shows up and, you know, she can talk properly now and they have that wonderful, like, oh, yeah, they're they're like, we're family now, you know, we don't care about anyone else. It's just, it's us two forever. And the moment they had that conversation, I was like, well, at least one of them's dying. And then what do you know? The next scene, one of them dies. It's like, could, could you be any more obvious about what you're trying to do? You know, um, that actually kind of worked on me because uh, it's the first time that Myrtle and uh, what's her name, Primrose, had a coherent conversation. Like they they had a friendship built on non-lingual conversation. They just, they enjoyed each other's vibe. But that's the first time they actually got to talk to each other and I think consummated their deep bond and then immediately it was taken away. I think it would have been, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I think it would have been a little more effective if uh, Myrtle had not been innocent in the death of that girl in the beginning. Do you remember? Yeah. The, the, Myrtle kills that girl. Yeah. I think it would have been better if Myrtle had been the aggressor in that situation. Yeah, because I mean, the whole thing, that, the, the, the whole kind of back half of the series, we, we had that annoying girl whose name I refused to learn, who was leading the... One-dimensional. Yeah, the yeah. purists. She's like, oh yeah, I'm here to kill your friend because you killed mine. It's like, excuse me, love, self-fucking-defense, you were literally out there baying for blood, trying to find someone to take your anger out on. They fought back. Your friend died for being a scumbag. That's not on. That's not on any of us. No one here except for you is at fault for your situation. So maybe don't take it out on everyone else, you prick. Yeah, and if the audience blamed Myrtle for that, uh, it would have the sacrifice of Primrose would have felt a lot deeper. Exactly, because yeah. as it happened. Uh, Myrtle was kind of not at fault as far as I'm concerned. No. And Primrose just kind of sacrifices herself. I don't know. I understand what they were going for. Like you were saying, they had these pairings. And the theme of the thing was sacrificing yourself for your friends, right? So we have a friend sacrificing themselves for someone they love. But I think uh, it. I, I liked what they were going for. I just agree with you that it could have been done better. And I want to talk about the Mundy and Hugo one, unless you have anything to say first. Uh, no, I'm, I'm happy to move on to that. Yeah, so I... Okay, so I feel like it would have made a lot more sense for Mundy to sacrifice himself to save Hugo. 100%. Because Mundy already lost Mary because Masson killed her it's like it's like his love is taken away from him twice by the same guy it feels kind of redundantly tragic and then they set up Mundy as the one saying no our love is impossible it can't be between us Hugo 
So it just would have felt so much better if Mundy was the one to jump in front of the gunshot. And true, like that would have been the moment of him, first of all, not allowing what happened to Mary to happen to Hugo. And second of all, finally embracing himself as someone who, embracing the honesty of who he is. He is a gay man and that's okay. And, and he sacrificed and sacrifice is the pinnacle of love. Like that, that would have been beautiful. Yep. In my opinion. Nope. 100% agree with everything you said. It would have been far more thematic, far more in character, far more impactful if, yeah, they had, if Mundy had been the one to sacrifice himself, if they wanted to kind of, you know, take the edge off a bit, he could have had a kind of a, I told you it wasn't going to work between us type crack as he, like, as his last words. Oh, that would have been so good. Exactly. And then if they'd actually given a shit about character development and arcs, you could have had um, Hugo, who we would know now is probably the highest ranking you know, peer of the realm left alive at this point. Kind of taking you know, taking on uh, Matson's kind of position and using that anger to like cause some, you know, to bring about some real fucking change in the country and make a better world where his friend his you know one true love wouldn't have had to sacrifice themselves. It would have been a much exactly. richer narrative, but instead we just got the pretty guy dies because Mundy can't have nice things apparently. And he doesn't even sacrifice. Yeah, Hugo doesn't even sacrifice himself. Also Hugo that. doesn't get. Uh, he doesn't get a big send off. He just kind of gets accidentally shot. Yeah. In the periphery. But that's what I was. That's kind of harking back to our previous points. Like there's the little kind of the little exchange between them. You know, the gun accidentally goes off, takes off the side of his neck. Then it cut away like to an ad break came back was the next scene we were somewhere else and then just five five ten minutes later we jump back and he's like dead on the floor it's like was like there was a, a two minute scene where they kind of say goodbye but it's like I, it kind of felt like there should have been a bit more between those two points but they didn't i don't know if it's just the episode that we had had that bit cut out or what but yeah it just felt like there should have been another scene between those two moments i totally agree with you and also, to, while, while we're kind of in this area, it just feels like these last six episodes completely ruined Lord Masson as a character. Like, yeah. he went from a relatively complex, kind of obviously evil, but there was clearly something more to him, kind of mastermind figure, to a crazy old bastard running around in the basement with a gun. No, this, I'm sorry. This isn't America. We don't all run around with guns all the time. Like that was no part of the first six episodes informed his arc in these last six episodes in any way. He like it's like well, it's almost like a completely different person was writing them, and kind of they had their own ideas for what they wanted these last six episodes to be. So we got people either completely changing who they were as a character or going through the exact same arcs they went through in the first six episodes, but with a couple of minor changes to fit how they wanted the new kind of arc to be. Like, don't even get me fucking started on the Beggar King. 
Like, oh yeah, Nick Frost, my boy, Nick Frost. I was he was one of the characters I was the most excited for. Like, they spent the whole first half of the series building him up as this like Varys the Spider esque. Like every you know, bent, crooked, and broken pie, he's got a finger in. He controls the undersides. He appears in the first episode. I'm doing bad, bad guy plans. Does pretty much fuck all for the intervening four episodes. And then shows up in the last episode. Oh yeah, turns out I've got to leave the town because the doctor's mad at me. Bye. My face is a bit fucked up, but who cares? I'm not going to be in the show anymore. And then he leaves. What the fuck was that? At least, like, have him... Yeah. It just feels like they wanted to have that annoying girl for no fucking reason as, like, the leader of the purists and completely get rid of the guy we've seen working with the purists up until this point, the guy who has been the leader of the underworld who would have made a much better choice to be the leader. I can only assume slash hope that Nick Frost was like, yeah, honestly, mate, this script is fucking garbage. Can you replace me with literally anyone? Because I don't want this on my CV. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I um I don't like how uh whatever happened between the Beggar King and Horatio happened off-screen. Yeah. We should have seen that happen. I actually enjoyed Horatio's abrupt turn to this kind of violent uh like protector uh, avenger figure. I thought that was awesome, but I wanted to see him. Yeah. Like, anyways, I wanted to see him on screen do that stuff. There was so much stuff in this episode that happened off screen that should have happened on screen. Like, Amalia, you know, our freaking hero, the literal lead of the show, gets stabbed, sad times, by that same fucking girl, barely holding her guts together, walks upstairs, like, surrounded by people. All right, let's dance, which, if I recall, was one-off, if not her first line in, like, the entire fucking show when she fights those first guys and beats the crap out of them. But last show, all right, let's dance. Camera cuts away. Seen lots of more scenes of two people in a very close-up shot talking and saying very little. And then it cuts back. Oh, she's been rescued. The fight's over. This is the finale. How can we cut away from our main character? Her final fight in the final... Like, I understand you can't afford to pay the sfx people and that's why they had to lose all their powers for no reason but could you also not pay the fight choreographer could could you not put together like just have her throw a couple of punches this is the finale for fuck's sake where's the where's the climax of the episode yeah i think i i it wasn't so much a finale as it was uh a dumping of a bad investment by a company that no longer gives a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Shedding I, of dead weight. I wish I I really I really think they missed an opportunity in that final battle uh g- given like the probably what you said about the special effects and the budgetary uh bottlenecks and all that stuff but I just wish that we could have seen Primrose uh, like a tiny primrose getting cornered by purists uh, and looking really terrified. And then the Galanthi like <sighs> gives everyone its powers back. And we just see primrose like hulk out and grow. And uh, the purists who thought they had the upper hand was like, uh oh, that would have been a perfect Whedon scene. That would have been, yeah. I guarantee if he had been writing Zeta, that would have happened. 
God, yeah, like, I wanted to see giantess action. Exactly. Like, you can't freaking tease that the whole time and then not show it off. But yeah, the whole power loss thing was such bullshit. I'm sorry, but whoever wrote that, put down your pen, step away from the paper, and never inflict your terrible ideas on the world ever Ooh. again. That was That's harsh. One, no, it's not. It's perfectly accurate. Like, the whole point of this show is... They, it's about people that are given mad, like these special powers and everyone hates them for them. You can't have the finale and then be like, oh, yeah, sorry, Dr. Haig zapped our magical elephants and now you've all lost your powers. Fuck you. Like, I understand they wanted to set up the kind of tragedy by removing the deus ex machina that is our magical healing doctor. But picture the scene, okay? The same fight's going down. Everyone's wrecking everything. Yeah, the whole, like, there's like the things you have to remember. There's there's lots of touched, but only about four or five of them have powers that are actually useful in combat. You've got the, the doctor has kind of learned to throw down. Uh, Annie Carby is obviously the freaking queen of the city and could just destroy everyone. Uh, Jack can kind of throw stuff. They're cool. Other than that, maybe Primrose could, you know, just Hulk smash some people. But other than that, the vast majority are going to be of no good in combat. So you still have to fight because you've got a line of like four, maybe five touched against like 40 freaking purists baying for blood with big freaking sticks. The fight is still going to go very badly. Uh, Amalia's doing her Amalia thing, you know, Captain america ring through all the people, doing what she does best. Still gets stabbed, because at the end of the day, she's not immortal, as we've seen in literally every one of her fights. She still takes a lot of damage. So, she is there, she is hurt, she is stumbling. Doc is there, healing hands at the ready. Oh, what's that off the one side? That's his wife, and his kid, and his wife's hurt too. So he's standing there, looking at the absolute chaos in front of him, to one side, he has Amalia, obviously hurt, obviously dying. To the other side, he has his wife, obviously hurt, possibly dying. We literally see him have to... She's been bouncing back and forth this whole freaking show. We see him literally have to choose, does he save Amalia or does he save his wife? And he finally makes the right choice, saves his wife... Amalia dies, we get the same, we get, we get the, you know, the, the ending that we got through this. You know, she passes away, Penance has her teary goodbye, and then Deus Ex Machina brings her back, because I honestly don't know. But would that not have been a thousand times better than what we got? That would have been ten thousand times better. That's a great, that's a great scene at the end, yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Would have been so good. And even if you didn't want to be as uh, good as what you just said... You could have just shown uh, the doctor, like, getting killed in his confrontation with the Beggar King. You can just eliminate the doctor altogether if you don't want the depth of that. That would that would also have been a far better... I mean, I, you can't have a whole show built around people with powers and then, at the pivotal point, take away all their powers just because you can't afford to pay your VFX people. Or you don't want to pay your VFX people. So yeah, of course, my speaking of characters that have been absolutely ruined, my friend, my my guy, 
freaking friend of the podcast, Dennis O'Hare. What did you think of his, of the role of Dr. Haig and the, the orange glow in the final moments? Him kind of doing whatever it was he did to the Galanthi and causing the touch to lose all their powers. I have obviously spoken a little bit about my thoughts on their power loss. What do you think, Chirag? Yeah, I, I don't, that was such a, I don't understand what happened with Dr. Haig at the end there. He just kind of became a weird wrench in the gears of the Galanthi, touched it, and he was he was possessed by the mother, right? I think so, yeah. Basically, the idea that we had last week for Penance, take, like, absorbing the mom and becoming Robo-Queen, they sort of went the other direction in that Haig absorbed his mom, which sounds grosser than I meant it to, but he absorbs the orange energy and it cooked his brain because he's just a normal person and kind of crazy so he didn't really have didn't really have any protection what did you think about <clears throat> just how kind of lovingly malady inserts that knife into his brain what was going on there that was yeah that was just another one of the amazing malady scenes in this episode like she carried this episode um i think that was very little about Hague and very much about malady like she like she actually was saying when he was freaking out at the start like she had plans for him they were they were gonna he was gonna suffer for years to balance out her suffering but through everything she did through kind of her communion if you will with the galanthi like she realized that that's you know, that's, that's not what it's about like there's no need for that she's done with him he's useless and she's freaking malady so she just you know, finishes him off in a relatively grim, but also probably quick and moderately painless way. And like, yeah, I'm done with you. You're, you are you are the past. I'm looking to the future now. It was a good scene in context. Yeah. Yeah, I like that scene. She puts him out of his misery. And I thought it was a much better confrontation between those characters than the one we saw earlier in part B. Um, it, it, it paid off that relationship, I thought, pretty well. It, it does kind of feel like the malady we have now isn't the same malady we had, but this is very much malady at peace with Sarah and herself. Like, she said goodbye to all the horrible people in her life. She's murdered most of them and kind of is now ready to move on and be better. Yeah, and I think as much is said at the very start of the episode when she and Myrtle are in that church and she's like, hey, I'm not burning up. I can be in this church and I don't burn. Uh, she finally found not purity, but some kind of atonement with her um, sulliedness. And uh, so, okay, so so I guess we can we can talk about Amalia True's sacrifice and resurrection. So what did you think of the significance of that? And how does that relate to the theme of sacrifice and resurrection in relation to her character arc? I mean, my immediate reaction is, what character arc? She had two mini arcs that were both basically the same thing. And then, as we've been saying since the start, yeah, she sacrificed herself to save everyone because that was clearly where her character was going. And then she came back. Because the power of friendship. 
I'm not saying the Pokemon movie did it better, but the Pokemon movie did it better. When all the when all the Pokemon cry to bring Ash back to life when he got turned to stone. Great scene. This is basically the same thing, but probably considerably more expensive to make and not as emotionally impactive. Packed full. That's the word. So I so I want to tell you the reason why I loved this episode. And um maybe maybe I can change your mind a little bit. Uh I feel like they did a, a quite nice job with this idea of death and resurrection. But and you know, obviously the most prominent mythological example of that is Jesus. And I feel like they really did a nice job of telling us that the Galanthi is the true Jesus. Like, this is a show full of death and resurrection, but it's the Galanthi that allows itself to be crucified in the beginning. It's literally like hung up on a cross on the ceiling. And then the Galanthi sacrifices itself and is reborn within humanity. It's basically space elephant jesus right and uh this i i looked this up just to make sure but uh lavinia the name lavinia is a feminine uh romanian name of latin origin meaning literally legendary mother of the roman people okay okay so so like her her name has roots in roman legends where lavinia is a wife of Anis, who's who's the ancestor of Romulus and Remus, who were the founders of Rome. So the reason why I'm telling you that is because who was it that crucified Jesus? The Romans. Mm. Yep. So of course Lavinia is the one to crucify the Galanthi. Of course she's trying out all the guns and shooting it out she of character. I. Yeah, I I thought I I really loved. I loved that the Galanthi sacrificed itself, and I loved that the Galanthi kind of does what Buffy did in her finale, where it allows its own power to be democratized so that every little girl and little boy can be empowered with the touch. It's kind of, it's kind of like a mass empowerment. Uh, and it's even, Amalia even speaks about it at the very end where they're not spores, they're seeds. It, and it's kind of sowed itself in everybody. And I, I loved that. I think that is for me, the saving grace of the episode. It just kind of, uh, it's a good idea in my opinion, not the best executed. Yeah. I mean, it's a good like, idea. It was, it was a good idea. The problem is like, as you just said, it was, you know, it was a great idea when Buffy did it as well. Like, 25 fucking years ago it's a great idea when pokemon did it 20 odd years ago and also like i can see where they were going with that whole it's not a spore it's a seed it's one of those lines that really really wants to be clever but the more you think about it the less clever it actually is because i mean there's really not a lot of difference between a spore and a seed like they're both things that are planted and cause something to grow it's just different genuses. You know, spores yeah. generally more for kind of funguses, while seeds are for plants. Yeah, I think maybe maybe I'm giving maybe I'm giving too much credit to the writers, but no, I, mean, I think when they it's it's somewhere in the middle. You're you're being 
a little generous i'm being massively too harsh i think the truth is as always somewhere between the two points yeah but i'm good cop yes and i am a sarcastic old bastard (laughs) um, (laughs) yeah like i can see where they i think my main problem with this finale and it was always going to be my problem with this finale so i'm not at all surprised that this is how it turned out is they had a handful of great ideas and just not enough time to lay any foundation for any of them. So nothing really had any impact because there was no time to build to any of it. And it didn't hurt. It didn't help that a lot of these six episodes were spent retreading ground that was trod in the first six. Like you've got such a small amount of time focus your story tell like work out what tale you want to tell and then tell it cut away as much of the fat as you can and just focus on your core plot don't give us like six different plot arcs 90 percent of which either don't really end anywhere or just end in the most anticlimactic and then they get shot and it's all over way possible like if they were going for kind of a Christ myth, and I think you've laid out your evidence pretty fracking clearly, like if that's not what they were going for, it's a massive coincidence because, damn, you made a, some great points there. Like if that is what you're going for, maybe do it a bit better. No, yeah, I agree. I agree. Focus on that. Do it, do it better. Yeah, come on, do it better. Uh, but I, I would say like about about the spores and the seeds. you the seed is a very uh, common biblical kind of like metaphor that's that's used very often. And I I don't know. Do you remember when um, Haig was talking about his mother, and he was saying uh, he said something to the effect of she's like a she's soft like like a like a like a mushroom am i am i misremembering that he he said he described his mother in a really weird in, way in a, yeah in a really weird way yeah uh but i i just feel like it maybe maybe in in this age of us having seen the last of us <laughs> spores are more spores are more of a kind of uh imperialist like we are taking over that's kind of how penance looks at the Galanthi as a thing that's kind of conquering the planet through the artifice of love and peace. But it's really just non-consensually uh, possessing people with power and difference and all sorts of things that nobody asked for. Uh, whereas Amalia is saying it's not spores. It's not it's not a airborne fungal creep. It's it's a gift that we have to nurture. Like that's what a seed is. But again, that's me probably just being too charitable. But maybe maybe not. It worked for me. That's I liked fair. that line. I mean, I have a feeling it's going to resonate quite a lot with many people. I think I'm just being overly pessimistic about the whole thing. 
bus as you've as but you, you are right up. you are right in the sense that they retrod a lot of ground they did this this part of the season and mm-hmm. also it ended a little too cliffhangery very much i will get to that shortly because i have funnily enough you'll be surprised here but i have some thoughts on that but um okay. we've kind of briefly touched on that big final scene uh so what do you think of the galanthi's purpose and its plan to kind of sacrifice and share the power we sort of covered that and what did you think of penance's reaction and doubts towards true and her accusations of um, oh i thought it was true being a galanthi puppet i thought it was so perfect because penance is the religious one she's the one who believes in god and believes in a power greater than herself and when she's face to face with Jesus, she's like, I don't give a fuck. This is not Jesus. This is, I don't, I don't care about this thing. I'm going to go run into the arms of my psychotic lover instead. I thought that was perfect. Fair, fair. My main issue with it was like that scene itself was great. Penance again easily the mvp of the whole back half of this series she's been fantastic i can't remember the actress's name i hope whatever she's in next it doesn't get cancelled after one season because she's fucking cracking love her but it was a little jarring for me that she was kind of unleashing on amalia when literally five minutes before they were having their big tearful group she was like oh I'll always love you and I'll I'll tell everyone so that your name never dies and then oh it turns out I'm not dying great well then fuck you I hate you now I'm gonna go you know hug my sister killing boyfriend instead like holy whiplash where the fuck did that come from like how did she go from I'm gonna make you the head of my new religion to nah fuck you in like five minutes well, I, th- I think the reason for that is the moment Penance wants to run into that house and Amalia stops her from doing it, Amalia is lying to Penance. So there's a trust there that I think is broken. And when Amalia says, on my life, like she promises, oh, it's on my life. I promise you that I'm not keeping anything from you. In that moment, Amalia should die. Like she, like we're we're setting her up to die, and if she doesn't die, then that on my life didn't mean anything, and the trust is broken. So when Amalia is dying, I think Penance and Amalia still have that bond, but when Amalia resurrects and never died, I think that kind of betrays. Uh, it betrays their relationship in a weird way that I'm I don't, I'm not able to articulately explain. But I it, it it feels right that Penance should not fuck with Amalia right now. I think the I think the rift is organic for me at least. The problem is like I, I, I like if the uh, that that kind of the two arguments are probably like oh I, I swear on my life I'm not lying to you even though everyone watching knows that she is and that's one of my most annoying tv tropes that that keep people keep doing it It pisses me off and then she charges in and then dies and then they have the the, the kind of second arguments okay those two track but just having like arguments tearful reunion another argument it's like 
it clashes to me. And I don't know why. It kind of just annoys me that this wild swings in mood. Yeah. It is a little a bit of a whiplash. Yeah. Either have her be kind of continually annoyed or have her be, okay, I forgive you because you did just literally die for us. Can you imagine if she, if Penance was just annoyed while Amali was dying? I could see it. Like, you, you're, not, you're not supposed to leave me like this. Like, it's been done. It, be it works. <laughs> and it, it would be very in character. Like, you, like you, you weren't supposed to yeah. leave me. We were supposed to you know, do this together. Yeah, no, I think if Amalia just died, that would have been her happy ending. Yep, I still maintain that she should not have made it out of this series alive. Yeah, and I I think I feel pretty comfortable saying that I don't think there's going to be more than Evers. I would, um, I would back that bet, yeah. I can't see there being any more. Yes, so they should have just made big choices and wrapped it up. I don't know why they were trying to just do a do it they didn't adapt they just went with the plan that was already in place and to the best of their ability but i think they should have changed the entire second half of the season yes absolutely yeah like they knew this was a zero-sum game they knew that like they had six and that was it just give us six really great episodes don't give us six retreads and then a bit of a post-credit of, ooh, maybe there's more to come. We know there's not. Shut the fuck up. Like, the best we can hope for at this point is, like, maybe a spin-off focused on Myrtle. That's about the best we can hope for. No way. I mean, just do something crazy. Like, do get something insane. Yeah, get Joss back. But also, if you can't get him back, don't try to capture his magic. Because only only he could have written that season and made it good do your own thing like kill every single character off do something unique they they just kind of and i've used this word before they've just kind of made something pedestrian as much as i enjoyed parts of it you know what i'm going to cycle right back to the beginning of this episode i was trying to decide between three words to describe this episode i'm throwing all of them out pedestrian that is the perfect word to sum up this episode nailed it well played yeah and uh the the pedestrian of of this show of this part of the season got hit by a bus called hbo max uh while it was crossing the street Uh, yeah yeah i don't know what that post-credit scene with with myrtle was about like does she now have the mother in her why does she suddenly have electric powers? Fuck nice. Um, Made no sense. Yeah, like she seems to have gotten her power back, but she can control it. Like she was bouncing back and she was speaking English, but also was somehow speaking to lamps. I don't know. And Why? yeah, an incredibly yeah, no, ironic choice of turn... last song. She was like turning the lights on in the lamps. Yeah. It seems like she, like the the mother that was possessing Haig, was in her, maybe. What I was thinking that that's what I was the conclusion I drew. That is all that that could be it. Also, it's entirely possible that characters, because I mean, as I've as we've kind of mentioned before, a recurring theme in this show is that all the. Like, 
maybe not all, but a lot of the touched, their powers were based on were kind of based on or inspired by their trauma. She never felt understood, so her power was literally that she can say anything but can't be understood. Now she's got that friendship with Primrose. They had that moment where they were like, "Yeah, we're family now. We get each other." So she's kind of moved past that. She's you know she's eased that trauma. So maybe now when the Galanthi was like, "Here's all your powers back." She was like, I'll take that, but maybe I won't have the same power because I don't have the same... I'm not the same person now that I was when I had my initial power boost. So maybe now I'll have a new power that is I can sing to lamps. That's a good power to have. Yeah, I'd do that. I'd have that. I'd take that power. But yeah, I mean, it'll, it's all fairly I mean, we academic. We did see a, a bunch of a uh, Galanti spores falling down like rain at the end. Mm. So maybe people got seconds yeah also very possible secondary mutations are a thing just ask magneto so let's analyze the portrayal of power dynamics and the unifying force of the galanthes energy let's go ahead and discuss how power and unity play a role in shaping the touched community what do you think uh the portrayal of power dynamics were pretty well done i wouldn't say the galanthi's energy was a particularly unifying force though if anything as we saw from uh, amalia and penance it has the sort of opposite reaction i mean they were literally bffs the entire show and then in the last five minutes decide to have a fight and not talk to each other anymore which is how we will always remember them but i mean the, the way it showed kind of the the shift in power you know the, the death of the beggar king who was the former kind of head of crime the death of lord masson who was the stand-in for kind of all old rich men with power you know, the, the rise of kind of annoying girl and uh, harriet like it was very much an idea that there's a new generation coming up and that they maybe are going to make better choices in the future and with this you new know, now that's a potentially a vast swathe of the populace maybe all around the world but definitely in london have got these new powers it's going to be interesting to see what the landscape is i'm guessing turbulent oh yeah yeah i i i don't think the turbulence is going anywhere i as far as power and unity I I want to keep talking about the Galanthi uh, because I feel like, and this is what the show has always been about, which is empowering the disempowered. And the Galanthi, for so many people in the future, um, was a kind of centralized symbol of the power of hope. It was this... It was like God or a parent or the government or something that can come rescue us. Um, something that will descend from the heavens and bring us to a rapture, you know. And I think this, I think I really enjoyed the job the finale did with the death of God, the death of the Galanthi, and what that really means is not that the Galanthi is gone or that it never existed or that 
Jesus is just a fictional character in a fictional book. It's the idea of Jesus as Christ consciousness that all of us occupy. Like we all have that inside of us. We don't need a centralized figure to, to save us when we can all be that. We can all be Jesus. We can we all be the Galanthus. We are Spartacus. Yeah. So in that, in that terms, in those terms, I thought it was handled pretty well. Fair analysis. It all it all ties back to this idea of the Galanthi as space Jesus. And the more you buy exactly. into that, the more the other seemingly disparate parts of the finale kind of click into place. Oh, baby, I'm all bought in. I can tell. You know, and as far as unity, that the word unity is even in community. So the more the touched are a community the more they they aspire to a kind of unity that I think we all aspire to in our lives. Always we should. I mean, I would hope that if with uh, Penance and Amalia kind of going their separate ways, seemingly, I'm kind of hoping that the new power couple of Annie and Jack will take control of the orphanage and hopefully kind of foster something a bit stronger there. Yeah, it's like yeah. Th- there was the whole uh, little throwaway conversation between Harriet and her husband, who's like, I'm going to start a new practice. If that's not the kind of wife you want, go fucking find a new one. I mean, that was, that's very much kind of the, the path they were taking, like throw away the things that don't work, salvage what can be saved, and move forward to a hopefully better future. I think I think they were moving in the direction of not needing Amalia anymore anyways. Oh, yeah, very they much They were so. all training in how to fight. It's that whole thing of, I think Amalia has the same function in the orphanage as the Galanthi does to the world. It's like, the world keeps relying on the Galanthi, thinking the Galanthi will come save it. When really, the Galanthi can only save the world by removing itself from the world, by dying and allowing the world to find its own power and people to find their own power. So I think actually that the absence of Amalia is what empowers all of those people at the orphanage. Which is another reason she should have stayed dead. More than her stewardship ever could. Her job was to draw these people together and create an atmosphere where they could eventually come to govern themselves and learn from her lessons both the successes and the many, many, many failures and sort of push through and make something better, which is hopefully what they'll do. But yeah, I think having Amalia come back kind of craps on that. Yeah, I have no idea where her character goes from here. Maybe she can be a cool aunt at the orphanage. I don't know. She's planted many bridges. I genuinely can't, genuinely, sorry, can't see, especially now that even Penance isn't in her corner, I can't see how they would ever accept her at the orphanage again. Or what does she even want anymore? Nothing. Like, she has no drive. I'm going to take a wild guess here and say that she's lost her boyfriend. She's lost her best friend. She's lost her purpose. What else? She's in limbo. Yeah. And the only reason she had any drive in this uh in this batch of episodes is because of how much she loved penance it wasn't really about saving the world or 
anything else. It was just, I love penance so much, I'm going to survive. Yeah. Now penance and- is gone. Amalia couldn't give two shits about the rest of the planet. She's here for penance. That's it. But yeah, apparently not anymore. So what did you think of the symbolism and the symbolic use of both light and darkness throughout this final episode? And how do you think these symbols reflect the characters' transformations and the resolution, in heavy air quotes, of the storyline? So I am an idiot. and I didn't even notice the the light and darkness symbolism. I did notice there was a blackout. And I noticed that at the very end in the post credit scene, Myrtle kind of cures the blackout. But I don't really know what that means. Do you have any ideas? Uh, yep, I know exactly what that means. It means bugger all. I'm just saying, I said it last time, I'm going to say it again now. I said it last time as a possible prediction. I'm saying it now as a, they really should have gone with that. Having the fight take place at night and then having the Galanthes gift go out just as dawn broke would have been amazing. Like, they're literally facing their darkest night as they're all getting absolutely, you know, steamrolled by the purifiers. Uh, Amalia dies for their sins, because let's let's lean into it. Dawn breaks, and you just see the Galanthi kind of like, you almost slightly kind of bodge it and have the Galanthi, like, flying across the sky as dawn breaks. You see kind of bringing the light with it, shining the spores, sorry, seeds down on everyone and giving them their new power then they, they rise up as the sun rises and move forward into the new day but uh that ain't what we got yeah and that what you just said that really would have been the the dark night of the soul if they had their powers taken away it was nighttime it was a blackout it was no electricity and penance's technology is not working like how do you defend yourself but, you know, like I said, I have no clue what that post credit scene was trying to tell us. Not even sure they knew, to be honest. I think they just, I think they just wanted an excuse to have um, Myrtle sing, because from what I understand, that was actually her singing, and she's got a pretty good voice. She sings beautifully, yeah. She does. She's not quite up to uh, Mary's level, but give her time. She's then just got her voice back. But, uh, yeah, I did dig her sort of not quite entirely malady but certainly malady adjacent look she had in this episode she looked pretty badass yeah she looked pretty cool should we segue into our final thoughts i wanted to i guess highlight a couple of cool uh lines and callbacks i thought the uh as far as augie is concerned i loved that cold find her when he when when he was looking into the shattered glass and he saw the bird's eye he's like find her and he looks directly at at the camera i thought that was a really good good quote and uh i also loved um when amalia was leaving the galanthi and she told penance it's not sorry she told malady uh if you do anything to hurt this galanthi i'll kill you or whatever and malady responds we all have our scars. I thought that was a beautiful callback to the first episode. Because now yeah, there's kind of good. like whatever um, whatever wall of uh, lies or uh, not lies, but 
something was broken down in between those two characters where now it's total honesty. Like, Malady knows everything about Amalia. There's no lies anymore. Which is ironic, given Amalia's last name is true. You know, now everything is finally true. And of course, you know, it has it. It had its flaws. It could have been so much better. It also had it. It also encountered some pretty difficult circumstances. The vision of the show was taken away. What I, I I'm just remembering now, like that that line in in this show, Malady repeats a couple times, where she says like, "The blind will the blind will finally see," or or those who are blind will have the vision that they never had. She repeats it like two to three times. And I, and I wasn't really sure what that was referring to. I'm not entirely sure. What it was I think it was just kind of, it's one of those lines that sounds kind of cool and deep and it's vague enough that it can be sort of applied to any number of like, again, if this had been, you know, shot during the night, like, oh, they're, you know, they're blind because they can't see it's It's dark. And then, they can now see because of the light. Like, there's a few ways it can be interpreted, but I'm not really sure about any of them. I, in my brain, I'm just connecting it all back to Jesus curing the blind. Um, yeah, the blind leading the blind. Leading the blind. Yeah, but I thought I thought it was well written for the most part. I, I loved a lot of the poeticisms and the abstract language of Malady. I thought they didn't do that poorly with it. Malady was very, very strong for the whole episode and for the whole series. Really, she was definitely one of the better characters. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What did you think? <sighs> I don't you know. Loved it's it, kind right? of hard to. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was superb. It's the best thing I've seen since the finale of Lost. Oh boy. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and feel free to share your thoughts and theories with us through all the usual channels. Before we sign off, we have a little bit of a PSA, a public service announcement to make. First, can you believe we've spent four years discussing the Nevers? From its humble beginnings back in 2019, to the casting announcements, one of which we broke ourselves, to the unexpected departure of Joss, and finally this bittersweet finale. But since this is probably the last time the Nevers will be discussed in detail on this podcast... It's time for a bit of a change. Can we get a drum roll, please? Brace yourselves, because the Nevers podcast is gearing up for a rebranding that's going to take it to exciting new horizons. That's right. The podcast will be getting a fresh new name and focus. While the podcast will continue to center around Joss Whedon, It'll be expanding its horizons to cover a wide range of Whedon-related topics. There will be deep dives into his awesome comic books, like his run on Astonishing X-Men, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 8, Frey, and Sugar Shock. The podcast will also explore Joss's movies, iconic TV shows, and his intriguing, unproduced scripts, such as Ripper, Batman Year One, Afterlife, Suspension and Goners, to name a few. There will also be a roundtable discussion on Whedon, which will be the next episode listeners will hear. 
So stick around and get ready to embrace the next chapter of our podcasting endeavor. And thank you for joining us on this Never's journey. And thank you, uh, Tig, for always being down to discuss the Nevers. You are very welcome. It's been an interesting four years. Sadly, it seems the show itself was more interesting to discuss than the actual end product. But what can we say? It's it's been a lot of fun talking with you all. Yeah. And it, while I may not be here, if you guys want to be. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nevers Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. If you have any comments or questions, send them to the Nevers Podcast at gmail.com. I've been Tig, and you can find me on Tinternet at The Hound Reacts on Twitter. And one of these days I will make a substack, but I'll let you know what it is then. Gerard, if you want to chip in. Oh, yeah, no. My socials are, um, like the characters in this show, in a constant state of death and resurrection. I keep deleting and re-downloading <laughs> those apps. So, uh, I don't know if I'm a... You can find me if you really look for me. That's my plans for the weekend, then. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, Until next time, I hope you enjoyed the Nevis podcast. See you around. See you around. This episode of the Nevers Podcast was written, produced, and edited by Matthew at Culture Inject Studios. The intro and outro music was produced by Gilirme Morais. We are more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on the Nevers and chat with other fans by visiting hbothenevers.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search HBO The Nevers, all one word, and click that follow button. The Nevers Podcast is not endorsed by Mutant Enemy, Warner Media Entertainment, or any of its subsidiaries, including Home Box Office, HBO, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. The Nevers and all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders. Did you see that recent article about Lost? Uh, everybody's talking about how toxic the environment of working on Lost was, apparently. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I, I just kind of uh, skimmed through it, but there, the, that guy's career is over. What career? <laughs> he was writing a Star I mean, Wars movie. Like, it's it's over now. Was he, though? He, yeah. It actually, I but think, no, got um, pulled because they knew this article was coming. That doesn't surprise me. But no, like the thing is, I, I'm not at all surprised that Lost was a shit show behind the scenes because it was a shit show on the screen. You could tell no one on that show had any idea what the fuck they were doing. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that it would be chaos because if you've got a bunch of writers who are, you know, pushed to make these scripts. They have no idea what they're working with. So, yeah, I and mean, then you've got. Lindelof overseeing it all like no I've got a vision bitch no you don't sit the fuck down although I think that uh, Brian K. Vaughan deserves a lot more hate than he gets for being the EP for 
most of that show and um, writing a couple of the more egregious episodes and for making us wait like five years for the new issue of Saga. Oh my gosh. Mostly the last I one. love Brian K. Vaughn so much and I'm I'm so happy Saga's finally back. I know. I, I'm, it's, it's the latest... I know the issues come out. Has the, has the volume come out, the new one? I'm I'm behind like three to four volumes, but they're they're coming like, if not weekly, they're monthly now. A new one every month. Well, I mean, it's, it's been, the issues have been releasing every month for about six months now, but they tend to be a bit of a wait before those issues are bound into volumes and released. It's because it's, it's usually four or five individual individual issues are bound into one volume. And basically, I started off reading Saga by the volume, but then it got really good, so I started reading by the issue. Then he hit us with that bullshit fucking cliffhanger and made us wait like three or four years yeah. for another issue. So I'm going back to reading it by the volume because I'm, I'm not going through that again. Yeah, no, but I, I loved that cliffhanger, though. I loved that they, they killed him off like that. I, I, still, I still hate it, sorry. Well, can I ask why you hate it? I know this is off topic, but I'm just curious. Because uh, I... I love him and I want like I mean I get that they're doing Romeo and Juliet so eventually Romeo and Juliet are going to die but he's such a great character you can't kill him off like if this was like the you know if there were the two three volumes left sure but apparently this is like the halfway point of the show and you get a series and you get to kill off one of the best characters it's like come on man so you hated it for That's the right mean. reason because it really affected yeah, oh, yeah, yeah don't get me wrong yeah. like I I, I hated it because it was such a gut punch. I don't. I don't think it was a bad idea. I just wish they hadn't done it because I love that freaking character. Right. Yeah. Okay. I got. Not you. like this nonsense we just sat through. <laughs> I wish that some of the character deaths in this finale were more of a gut punch. Exactly. Yeah. I look for those gut punches. I mean, I love Bojack Horseman. That whole show is one freaking unending gut punch. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, 